Hello there, and welcome to the Unfuck Your Biz with Brayden podcast, a show to encourage and empower creative CEOs just like yourself through actionable legal, tax, and financial topics. I'm Brayden Drake, an author, lawyer, tax pro, and educator, but you can just call me Brayden, your gay best friend, here to help you unfuck that biz. If you're ready to dive in, grab a notebook, maybe some coffee, and buckle in to learn how you can implement solid strategies to build a profitable business. Well, hello, Bestie, and welcome back to the podcast. As always, this is your host, Brayden. And on today's episode, we are discussing the topic I made up called, Is Your Bank Account Leaking Money? Now, what I'm going to do really is walk you through the presentation that I gave last week at Wedding MBA, which is a very large annual conference that happens in Las Vegas for wedding professionals. Super fun super tiring because there's lots of mixers and parties and I almost said galas, not galas, not that fancy. Um, Just lots of hanging out with friends that you only get to see, you know, once or twice a year in real life. Um, A lot of talking, a lot of meeting people at a booth and a loud expo hall. Um, So I've been two years now and each time I've lost my voice, I have a feeling that's just going to be a pattern. It's mostly, I feel like I can feel it, you know, you know, like when your throat still feels scratchy. But you probably can't hear it anymore. Hopefully, fingers crossed, uh, my voice might just crack a few times, which is, you know, fun for everyone. So I will be doing more of a wedding MBA debrief about like the cost, the money that we spent, the money that we made, all that kind of stuff on my profit report. Um, But here, we're really talking about the actual topic. So I spoke on... um, a topic that was titled the new six-figure benchmark for wedding pros. The difference between a successful business and a hobby is determined by the number of zeros. With the cost of goods at an all-time high, it's time to put profit first. Define your ideal revenue benchmark in the smart and interactive workshop where we will cover tips to increase profit and take on pay, advanced tax and finance strategies to increase profit, and cash flow shortcuts to streamline your money system. So that was the topic and the description of my talk at Wedding MBA. Um, we, we didn't obviously take like a detailed headcount because it, it was a big room, but we're estimating about three to 400 people were there. We got a lot of great feedback on the top, on the talk. It was really, really fun. Um, so on today's podcast, I want to focus on one specific concept I talked about in the talk which I call the client to piggy bank pipeline. Now, something I've talked about before, um, it uh, is kind of like a, a pillar of my content. And essentially, the, the client to piggy bank pipeline is the your cash flow process, right? You get paid by a client, that money goes into your business bank account, it pays for some of your expenses, it pays you a salary, maybe it pays you a distribution. These are all like different pipes that's going down to go to its necessary places. When it goes into your personal bank account, it pays some of your personal bills. And then uh, maybe it goes into a savings account to pay for a vacation, to pay for a future home, to pay off debt. Um, these are all places the money goes in your client to piggy bank pipeline. So that is what we're talking about. And you may also remember if you've been following me for a while that about a year ago, I changed up my branding and I made a big messaging pivot in my business to lean into Profit RX, your prescription to build a healthy and wealthy business. That was the name of the new program we launched a little over a year ago. We just celebrated our one year anniversary. Very fun. But the focus was to shift the messaging 
and kind of brand identity to focus on profitability and money rather than focusing on legality. So I'm still an attorney. Um, I always will be an attorney. Well, maybe, maybe not. It decides if depends if I, you know, want to keep paying my annual dues and fees for all that stuff. But I will always be a person that was trained as an attorney first. But I was thinking, you know, when we did this messaging pivot and I talked to my friends, talked to the people that work with me, talked to my messaging coach. I was like, why should people really care about, you know, why should people care about LLCs? That's probably not your passion, right? If any of you, if any of you's life's passion were LLCs, you would probably, you know, go to law school or something, right? Um, but it's all linked to the money. So I thought back to the struggles that people had during COVID, specifically in the wedding industry. They were having clients canceled left, right, and center, asking for refunds, refunds specifically for money that was no longer in their bank account. Uh, and it, it kind of dawned on me, I feel like it's stating the obvious, but your contract is at the end of the day, really linked to the money that you make in your business. If you don't have a well-written contract, people can get refunds whenever they want. Um, it's more likely that you're not going to get paid. If you don't have an LLC, there's a, a very, very small chance, but a chance nonetheless, that people can go after your personal assets in a lawsuit. If you don't have insurance, that's even more of an issue. Uh, intellectual property concerns also impact the bank account because now you might have to send pay attorneys to send more cease and desist letters for you, or God forbid, you have to defend yourself against an intellectual property lawsuit. These all at the end of the day impact your bank account and is why we care about legalities in the first place. So that's why we did this messaging pivot. Um, a little bit of a look ahead. Uh, in December, we're going to be launching uh, ProfitRx again. It's technically been open all this year. We closed registration down um, this week. We were running a free trial, which is now expired. But we're going to be opening the doors again with some exciting new bonuses. And we're moving to like an open like an open closed door model so that we can focus less on marketing throughout the year and more on serving our members. That's coming up in December. Um, and that's also, you know, why we did a big focus on chatting with new people um, at Wedding MBA. So just giving you a little bit of a highlight before I dive all the way into the talk. And uh, in December, we'll also be welcoming in some new one-on-one -on -one clients. So although our marketing and our launch will focus on bringing people into the membership. If you're already into the multi six figures and you're like, love the idea of a membership, don't love it for me because I'm too busy, not to worry. You can work with us one-on-one -on -one now to do bookkeeping. And the big inside scoop, which I guess I'm sharing with you all now, is this coming tax season, we will be offering tax return services for the very first time in the business. But big caveat, those services will only be available to people in our membership and to people who work with us one-on-one. -on -one. So the real idea of this membership is that we are helping you stay organized all year round so that you can be our dream client during tax season. But ultimately, it's hopefully going to save you a lot of stress and money in the long run because you're not going to have to pay for the oh shit moment of I've been totally unorganized up until tax season. All right. So that's what we have coming up. Now, let me share a little bit more about what, what we dove into into this talk. So I talked about the client to piggy bank pipeline, and then we really dug into well, what does the top of the pipeline look like? So if you think about the top of the pipeline, it's your revenue. And I asked the audience to tell me how much revenue they thought they needed to create what I like to call a life 
fundable business. So in other words, how much revenue do you need to have enough money after taxes, after business expenses, after all that stuff to cover your personal expenses and then have enough money left over to put into savings? So how much money do you need coming into the front of the pipeline to have enough money left at the very end of your client to piggy bank pipeline to pay for all the things that you want to pay for. And I took some audience feedback. Um, I forget the one person I called on. I want to say I actually like jumped off the stage and went and like with the microphone and, and had people answer these questions. I think they said around $120,000. We got some different numbers all over the place, but I like to argue that most people should have an end goal of $200,000. Now, this is with the caveat that um, you are the sole income source in your household. So either you're single or you're the only one working and you don't have other sources of income. Um, if you have if you have a spouse that brings in 100,000, then I would say you know 100,000 might be a good target for you um, in revenue. And the reason why is because after uh, expenses for a lot of people are gonna be around 30% of business income. Of course, that's gonna vary very widely. It will vary with an A, vary with an E widely, very widely. That was complicated. Uh, you get what I mean though. So 30%, so if we assume 30% goes to expenses and 20% goes to taxes, well, what's left? 50%. So if you're operating at $200,000 in revenue, that leaves $100,000. And I think in most, uh, especially in most urban markets in the US, like LA, New York, Seattle, Chicago, and really any other city center, that is still a pretty modest amount of money. Now, is it well above the average income in the US? Yes, it still is. So I'm not saying that $100,000 is meager. I'm not saying $100,000 makes you low income. What I am saying is that $100,000 still isn't a ton of money when you think about wanting to buy a home, go on vacation, all of the things that we really want to do. So I'm talking a little bit above and beyond like basic bare necessities here, right? So if that's your goal to be able to do all of those things, that's probably the amount that you need, right? And I've talked to people on the podcast. That's why I love doing the profit reports because I talk to other people who say, you know what? No, I'm perfectly comfortable with less than that. Other people will say, well, I want more. I want a lot more than that because maybe my end goal is to someday have a vacation house pay off a home and the expensive city that I live in, have a nice car. We're not talking about yachts here. All right. We're not talking about yachts and private jets. We're talking about uh, luxuries that are available to people who want to go from middle class to upper middle class, right? That's a lot of the time, the kind of the goal thresholds that I'm talking about. Um, <clears throat> so if that's where you are, or if that's where you want to be $200,000, I would argue probably is, you know, that, um, that target we should shoot for. And I like to talk about this a lot. I've recorded a whole podcast episode on why 200,000 should be our new six-figure benchmark because a lot of people throw out the $100,000 figure, which is great. That's still a huge milestone in business. But after expenses and tax, that leaves you um, with average or below average annual income, depending on the market that you are in, which isn't really gonna be enough to pay for all the things that we probably want to pay for. So what comes first? Um, I talked a little bit about the client to piggy bank pipeline. And, and when you think about, when you think about this pipeline, I want you to think about it being like a leaky pipeline somewhat. Like we have drips of water here, drips of water there. Water really is like the money that's spewing out of your pipeline. 
Um, if you have a really big issue in your business, like someone sues you, that's a hemorrhage, right? That's like your pipe has burst and all of the money is flowing out. That's what we don't want. So we have to fix our pipeline. So what comes first, focusing on revenue or focusing on the pipeline? This is a question I asked during the talk. And luckily everyone gave what I thought was the correct answer, which is the pipeline, right? So getting more money into your pipeline, that's marketing, right? Keeping the money in your pipeline can be a whole lot of things. It can be um, streamlining your operations to cut down on team expenses, uh, lots of other things, but I'm specifically focusing on obviously the finance and tax side of things. Focusing on your pipeline is gonna help you hang on to more money as you grow. And it also might help you change the revenue goal that you need to reach for. So if you can cut expenses from 30% to uh, let's say 20% and you can cut your tax percentage down from 20% to 10%. Well, now all of a sudden the top of your pipeline, you might only actually need 150 to 170 rather than $200,000 because you have fixed those issues. Or if you still want to target the same amount of revenue, well, it just means you have more take-home pay, which we love. So focusing on fixing your pipeline. So what are some ways we can do this? These are kind of the three pillars of my talk. We talked about number one, reduce your taxes. Number two, maximize your profits. And number three, optimize your cash flow. So I'm going to go through these pretty quickly because these are all topics that um, will be pretty general for you all. If you're a regular listener of the podcast, if you're not a regular listener, I hope you become one. Go listen to some past episodes where you will learn a lot more about these things. So under reduce your taxes, we first talked about business deductions. Now you probably don't need me to harp on business deductions um, because you understand how important they are. You understand the importance of tracking them because tracking your deductions is, is what helps you actually A, know what you spent your money on so that it gets allocated correctly and deducted on your tax return. And B, if you're ever audited, it's important that we have a tracking system so that we don't end up having to have those expenses disclaimed and then paying the tax on them after the fact. That's no fun. So uh, we have, if you didn't already know, I have an amazing bookkeeping template. If you're not already a member in my membership, uh, in the membership ProfitRx, we have uh, the bookkeeping template available to you. But I also started providing that outside of the membership. It's only $10. It's an amazing resource. It comes with a mini course on how to set up the template. It's in a Google Sheet. I recommend that for people who do not already have a solution. So if you're already off and running with QuickBooks, wave, whatever, you probably don't need this template. Um, but if you don't have a solution, we'll put it in the show notes, go grab it. Super great. So you want to use that to track your expenses, right? That's like 101, super basic stuff. We also talked a little bit about some advanced tax strategies. So S corporations help you save self-employment tax. I'm not going to fully explain how S corps work on this episode. I've done that in past episodes. Go listen. We also have a blog post. We'll link that in the show notes as well. The S corps help you save self-employment tax. Typically, they're not going to make a whole lot of sense until you're profiting, keyword profit, at least, mm, let's say 50, 60, $70,000 in your business, probably more like 70 to $80,000. But uh, that's not it, right? You have to be profiting enough, but you also have to set your S-Corp up correctly. I've been helping a couple clients with S-Corps in the past month. It's always um, shocking to me what kind of advice I hear a third hand that people get from various accountants and other quote unquote professionals that is just like 
blanket, not correct. Um, so if you don't set up your S corp correctly, it's not going to save you money. You have to put yourself on payroll. This is very, very important. <clears throat> also, an S corp may not be ideal for you if you're a high income earner outside of your business. So this is not something that I hear people talk a lot about. The whole point of an S corp is that it helps save you self-employment taxes, which is Medicare and social security, Medicare and social, social security starts to be capped at around a certain threshold of income. It's around $138,000 of income. And at that point, you no longer pay into social security. You only pay into Medicare, which is 2.9% rather than 15.3%. And all this really means long story short is if you have a full-time job where you make at around or above that threshold, you're already maxing out for the most point your Medicare and Social Security. You're just paying a little bit more into Medicare as your income grows. So forming an S Corp in your business probably isn't going to save you much money. All right. And this is just, you know, one example of when an S Corp might not make sense when other people are telling you you should do it. I've seen I could go a little bit on a little bit of a tirade, tirade, is that the word? Um, I actually, you know what? I'm going to take a note right here while I'm on the podcast. I have a future episode coming up called Worst Pieces of Advice, um, Tax Advice I've Seen. And we're going to talk more about this on that episode um, because, and I'm not going to name the companies, but there are a couple of companies now that are really specializing in escort formation. And when I tell you the savings, the saving estimations they give to people are outlandish. Like I truly mean it. Um, I heard one company, you know, tell someone that they thought they could save about 15 grand in taxes by forming an S corp. I did the math myself and it came out to about $3,000. So the point is buyer beware of what you hear when people are touting the benefits of an S corp is $3,000 still an amazing tax savings. Yes. But if I told you, you're going to, you were going to save 15,000 and it ended up being three, you would probably be pretty pissed at me. I would imagine just because that's uh, not what you bargained for. And you may have already, uh, you may have already allocated that additional $12,000 somewhere. So just a heads up. Um, another advanced tax strategy, running your health insurance through your business. This is actually a big way that you can save more money in an S corp. So a lot of the time when people hand, you know, say you're going to save $10,000, $15,000 by forming an S corp, it's assuming that you're going to run your health insurance through your business. It's assuming that you're going to run a lot of things through your business, but, uh, this only really works if you qualify for, uh, self-employment health insurance deductions. And to qualify for those, you can't qualify for health insurance through any other uh, means, meaning if you have a full-time job that qualifies you for health insurance, you can't get those deductions. If you, have a, if you have a spouse that qualifies you for those uh, benefits, you can't get those deductions. And that um, is not all of us, obviously, but that is a good chunk of us. So myself, I qualify for employment health insurance through my husband's work. That means I can't take the same health insurance deductions other self-employed people can take. So it would still be wise of me to run my health insurance through my S corporation if I were going to pay for it on my own and not use my husband's. If it were going to be cheaper for me to do it on my own, I would do it that way. It would still save me money versus not doing it that way, but it wouldn't save me the same amount of tax dollars as someone who didn't qualify through another job or through a spouse. Okay. So this is more of a misconception. All right. 
Also leveraging retirement savings through your business is an advanced tax strategy that can save you money because you get retirement deductions. We have a blog post about that on the website as well. So those were some quick tips on how you can fix your pipeline looking at tax strategies because overpaying on taxes is one way that money leaks out of our client to piggy bank pipeline. I'm a big advocate of paying everything you owe in taxes, but not a penny more. You'll hear a lot of people talking about like ways to pay $0 in taxes, which, you know, I still myself think a lot of that's bullshit, but that's not really my vibe, right? If you don't want to pay any taxes, well, an easy way to do that is to literally spend all of your money. If your business doesn't profit any money, you're not going to owe any taxes, but then also you have no money to take out of your business. So like, you know, how does that make sense? A lot of the other strategies involve, you know, like buying a lot of real estate or really expensive things. And I find those are strategies that often tend to only be available to the wealthy. Um, for the rest of us, we're going to end up paying taxes. We just want to make sure we're not overpaying on taxes. So how else can we start to fix our client to piggy bank pipeline. Another way is to maximize our profits by focusing on our profit margin. This is something I chat about on my profit reports is the whole reason I do them. It's the whole reason I share my numbers with you. Uh, if you haven't listened to any of the profit reports, go tune into some. I think they're very fun episodes. And it's also the reason I like to interview some of my friends about their profits so we can figure out different strategies to increase your profit. So quick question for you to think about. You can, after I pose the question, you can pause the podcast if you want to think about it. How can you increase your profit? There's two primary ways. And then there are some, some like creative ways. So how do you increase your profit? So that's the question. Answer. Number one, you can increase your income right? If you have income of a hundred, if you have revenue of a hundred thousand dollars, expenses of 20,000, that leaves you profit of 80,000. That's an 80% profit. Let's say you keep expenses the same, but you increase your revenue to $110,000. Well, now your profit margin is higher than 80%. I'm not doing that math right now, but your profit margin is higher than 80%. If you keep your revenue at a hundred thousand and you decrease your expenses to 10,000. Well, now you have $90,000 in profit. Your profit is 90%. So that's the second way that you can increase your profit. So, uh, you can increase income, um, either one, if you're in a natural growth mode of your business. So if your business is still growing, you're still getting brand awareness and that's happening very naturally, that's just going to happen, right? You probably don't need to think a lot about growing your income. Uh, if you're in a lull, maybe your income has been consistent. You're like pretty locked in. You're uh, an event professional and you already are doing your maximum amount of events. Well, at that point, you can maybe increase your price. You can hire people to help you. Those are some creative ways to increase your income. Um, <clears throat> But if you're in a law and you're not fully booked, then that's when you want to look into your marketing, right? How do we get new leads? How do we increase conversions? All that kind of stuff. So increasing income, cutting expenses is something that's going to be easier for some people than it is for others. First things first, you should look at everything you're paying for. This is why it's so important to stay on top of your bookkeeping. When you stay on top of your bookkeeping, you are always going to 
be aware of what you're spending your money on. So last week when I did my bookkeeping, I saw there were two things I've been paying for for several months now that I just haven't been using. So I'm like, all right, let's cancel that. It was an eight, like an $8 thing and a $10 thing. So $18 a month, pretty small percentage of my monthly income, but I'm like, why pay for it? You know, if we're not using it, a lot of people don't do that or don't do that regularly. And those $10 and $8 I add up before they know it, they're spending a few hundred dollars every month on shit they're like not even using. So we can cut that out. That's an easy way to decrease expenses. Um, there are there are other strategies as well. We could probably do a whole a whole podcast episode on that, but you know, maybe in the future. A third way to increase profit is to focus on your time. So how much money do you make per hour? So is a hundred thousand dollar business at 30 hours per week of work more profitable than one at 50 hours per week. When we look at the tax return, there's technically no difference, right? The IRS isn't asking for your hours worked. They don't really give a shit. But for our own purposes, it's more like, it feels a lot more profitable to have a business that makes more money with less work. Hopefully you would agree. Because then you either have the option of, well, oh, great, well, I have free time. I can do whatever I want. I'm not stressed out from working all the time. Or I have more time to, I don't know, start, Start another money-making endeavor. Get a part-time job if you really want to. Most of you probably don't want to do that. I don't blame you. Or just work more hours in your business, right, to optimize. Um, some days I thought I think about going back to work uh, furniture retail just because it's, like, kind of fun. But I don't do that because, really, I only do want to do that, like, one day a week. And most people, like, want to hire for that. Some days I miss my, my good old days at West Elm. It's kind of fun helping people overspend on furniture, a talent of mine. All right. So when it comes to your time, you can, you can focus on your marginal profits. This is something we talked about on previous episodes. So how much do you make per offer in your business or per, per service, per product, based on the time it takes you to work on that offer or deliver that product or service? So think about everything that you offer in your business. How much time does it take you to deliver on that? You can even do time tracking um, to help you figure this out. And then how much are you making per hour? And this can help you optimize because there's something that you might end up realizing, oh, I feel like I make a lot of money on that, but actually that thing takes me a lot more time. So I'm making less money per hour. Maybe I should push more of the other thing. So sell less of this thing, sell more of the other thing. That's going to help you get more profitable with your time. And then with your leftover time, you can do more marketing, which is going to help you increase your income without incurring more expenses and thereby increase your profit and fix your client to piggy bank pipeline. Okay. You can also focus on something I like to call your profit matrix, which is comparing your hours work to your revenue and your profit and focusing on um, really what it is that you like to do. <clears throat> this is, I would say a fourth way to be more profitable, but this one is purely psychological. And what I mean by that is like, take, think of three tasks in your business, just off the top of your head. I want you to think of a task that you love doing and you can spend hours and hours and hours doing. I want you to think of a task that you hate doing and you're like, if I could outsource this today, I would outsource this today. Uh, maybe you haven't because it's too expensive to outsource it or you just don't know if you can trust anyone else to do the thing. And then think of something that's like neutral, like neutral in the middle. Like, so for me, something I love doing is I love going on other people's podcast and interviewing people on my podcast. If it made sense, I would make all of my episodes interviews because they're just more fun for me than recording solo episodes. And that's just because I love having conversations, right? 
Um, solo podcast episodes kind of fall in that middle, like that middle for me, it's a marketing activity. It kind of falls in the middle. And then on the lower end, um, things I absolutely don't want to do. Um, I don't like writing one-on-one contracts. That's probably something I don't like doing. Um, and so the point is I can spend an hour on each of those activities and an hour for me in an interview is going to go by like in the snap of a finger versus an hour doing things I don't want to do is going to take a lot more uh, mental energy. So it all comes down to, it's almost like thinking about profitability in terms of how mentally invigorated are you versus mentally drained are you? Because an eight hour day of doing things that you hate is going to make you feel so zapped versus you can spend eight hours doing something that you love. And you might be like a little bit tired, but you still feel energized, if that makes sense. Have you ever felt the like, I'm sleepy tired, but I'm very energized. Maybe you're like on vacation, you're doing something fun. And you're like, I probably should go to bed because like I need to rest. But at the same time, like I could do this for hours and hours and hours. That's, that's the difference. That's a profitability based on feeling. I hope that makes sense. Maybe I'll keep talking about that more and I'll find, uh, more articulate ways to articulate that. So this second point we've been discussing is all about increasing your margins, but we could have a sub point here, or even another point, but that's more about protecting those margins. This, this is where your legalities come into place. So contracts, insurance, business entities, intellectual property, these are all your layers of protection. And we'll talk about these more in upcoming episodes. We've certainly talked about, I know that we've done dedicated episodes to each and every one of these topics. So if you need contracts, definitely buy my contract vault. If you don't already have it, if you need insurance, go listen to our previous episode on insurance, business entities, LLCs, S corporations, corporations to protect you legally. We've done episodes on that as well. We also have a fabulous blog post. And then we've done several trademark episodes in the past as well. If any of you need a trademark referral, by the way, um, I have a fabulous firm I can refer you to. Uh, they do a free consultation. We'll put that link in the show notes also. So that was point number two. And then point number three was optimizing your cash flow to help you kind of streamline your client to piggy bank pipeline. So we talked about having a leaky pipeline. Those were really like the first two points. So reduce taxes, maximize your profits. This third one is more like um, changing the layout and the flow of your pipeline. So if you think about like, I'm literally thinking about PVC pipes and I'm thinking about having like all these different offshoots and your money going in all these different directions in a way where the money just doesn't want to flow smoothly. Optimizing your, optimizing your cash flow would be streamlining that process to have a more natural flow of your money. Or some of you might have a system, this is a separate problem, where your pipeline is literally client personal bank account. So the money is going to flow real fast all at once into one place, but we actually need to segment that money into different offshoots so that it's getting divided into the places it needs to go, like IE, EG. I never know the difference between those two things. You have to have a business bank account. For the love of God, if you don't have a business bank account, please get a business bank account. Step number one. So cash flow management, what's the point? Well, it helps you get off the what the fuck happened to my money hamster wheel. I talk about that a lot. Um, it helps you operate like a quote unquote real company, like a, a person that pays themselves a salary and profit distributions. It helps you when you're ready to transition into an S corp and it also helps you dial in your profit. So in profit RX, I teach what I like to call cash flow 1.0 
which is how we teach you to automate your tax savings and pay yourself regularly. This is super important. We also have cash flow 2.0, 3.0, and 4.0. They're different cash flow systems that I recommend at different stages in business. We always start with 1.0, and as we grow the business, we can add additional layers of complexity and sophistication to our cash flow system so that we're able to pay ourselves things like a set salary on payroll to save self-employment taxes if that makes sense in your business. You also are going to set up a cash flow policy so that you know how all of this runs. So those were our three points, right? Of course, at the talk at Wedding MBA, we had a nice conclusion. We had a pitch at the end. We don't need to do all of that here on this podcast episode. You get that on a regular basis anyway. Um, really my kind of plea to you, my call to action to you is to start to think about that, like actually think about this in terms of this pipeline. So money comes in from your client. What happens to the money, right? Hopefully it's going into a business bank account, but then what happens? Does it just sit there until you're like, oh, I need to go buy groceries and I don't have any money in my personal bank account, or I have money in my personal bank account, but my personal credit card is like through the roof. I should probably transfer money from my business so that I can pay my personal credit card. So then I can put my groceries on my personal credit card. These are the kinds of thought processes we ideally don't want to be having. We want to have a system and a process set up so that our money is flowing freely according to a set schedule in a way that takes care of all of these issues. So think about that process and then also start to think about, you know, what are your core philosophies when it comes to taxes? Are you that person that will do anything possible to not pay taxes and you um, feel comfortable feeling a little bit wild and free about it? And what I mean by that is Wild and free, meaning your mindset is like, I'm probably going to get audited at some point and I'll fight them when it happens. If that's you, you're probably not going to gel a lot with, with my strategies. Okay. If you are the person who's um, paranoid all the time that you're going to get audited like any day, uh, you have a lot to learn from me, I think. And mostly the thing that you need to learn is just to take deep breaths and understand that if you're doing everything that you're supposed to do, you're going to be fine. It's going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. And then most of us fall somewhere in the middle. Like I said earlier, we want to pay what we owe and not a penny more, which means tracking our deductions, all this kind of stuff. So think about this. Um, like I always tell you, if you enjoy the episode, I would love it so much. I would be so appreciative if you would share a screenshot of the episode on your Instagram stories, anywhere on social media, give me a tag. Let me know what you liked about the episode, what you learned, what you're thinking about. This helps us grow the podcast. And that's going to be one of our big, big goals in the coming weeks and months. So if you're enjoying it, share it. Uh, and that is all I have for you for today's episode. Uh, thanks for tuning in and I wish you the best. Hey there, before you go, I wanted to give a quick thanks. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. If you loved it, I would love for you to take a screenshot of the episode or snap a quick selfie while you are listening. Share it on social and give me a tag. It'll help other kick-ass entrepreneurs like yourself find the show. That's it for today. I'll be back soon with a new episode. Meanwhile, let's roll up our sleeves and unfuck that biz.